Chapter 21, Part 1 Concerning Persecution Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10 We now come to the last beatitude. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Our Lord Christ desires us to count the cost. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Luke 14, 28. Christianity will cost us the tears of repentance and the blood of persecution. We see here, though, a great encouragement that may keep us from fainting in the day of adversity. Proverbs 24, 10. For the present, we are blessed. For the future, we will be crowned. The words fall into two general parts. One, the condition of the godly in this life, they are persecuted. And two, their reward after this life, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I will speak primarily of the first, and will bring in the other in the application. The observation is that true godliness is usually accompanied by persecution. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 The Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13.50 Martin Luther makes it the very definition of a Christian. Christianus quasi crucianus. A Christian is as a crucified one. Christ died to take away the curse from us, but not to take away the cross from us. Those stones that are cut out for a building are first hewed and squared under the saw and hammer. The godly are called living stones, 1 Peter 2 5, and they must be hewn and polished by the persecutor's hand so that they may be prepared for the heavenly building. The saints have no charter of exemption from trials. Though they are never so meek, merciful, and pure in heart, their piety will not shield them from sufferings. They must hang their harp on the willows and take the cross. Psalm 137, 2. The way to heaven is by way of thorns and blood. Though it is full of roses in regard to the comforts of the Holy Spirit, yet it is full of thorns in regard to persecutions. Before Israel got to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, they had to go through a wilderness of serpents and a Red Sea. So the children of God, in their passage to the Holy Land, must meet with fiery serpents and a Red Sea of persecution. Ambrose said, There is no Abel who does not have his cane. Paul fought with beasts at Ephesus, 1 Corinthians 15.32. Set it down as a proverb that if you will follow Christ, you must see the swords and clubs. Put the cross in your creed. To amplify this, there are several things we should be aware of. 1. What is meant by persecution. 2. The different kinds of persecution. 3. Why there must be persecution. 4. Why the main persecutions are raised against the ministers of Christ. And 5. What that persecution is that makes a person blessed. 1. What is meant by persecution?
The Greek word for to persecute signifies to vex and molest, and sometimes to prosecute another, to arraign him in court, or to pursue him to the death. A persecutor is a pricking briar, Ezekiel 28.24. Therefore, the church is described to be a lily among thorns, Song of Solomon 2.2. 2. What are the different kinds of persecution? There is a twofold persecution, a persecution of the hand and a persecution of the tongue. A persecution of the hand. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Acts 7.52. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Psalm 44.22. Romans 8.36. I call it a bloody persecution when the people of God are persecuted with fire and sword. We read of the ten persecutions in the time of Nero, Domitian, Trajan, etc., and of the persecution under Queen Mary. For five years England drank a cup of blood, and lately Piedmont and the confines of Bohemia have been scourged to death with the rod of the persecutor. God's church has always, like Abraham's ram, been tied in a bush of thorns. The persecution of the tongue, which is twofold. 1. Reviling. Few people think of this or consider it, but in the text it is called persecution. When men shall revile you and persecute you. Matthew 5.11. This is persecution of the tongue. His words were drawn swords. Psalm 55.21. You may kill a person in his name as well as in his person. A good name is better than precious ointment. Ecclesiastes 7.1. A good conscience and a good name are like a gold ring set with an expensive diamond. To smite another by his name is called persecution by our Saviour. Thus the early Christians endured the persecution of the tongue. They had trial of cruel mockings. Hebrews 11.36 David was the song of the drunkards. Psalm 69.12 They would sit on their ale bench and mock him. How frequently do the wicked mock and reproach God's children! They say, These are the holy ones. They don't think much about what they are doing. They are now doing Cain's work and Julian's. They are persecuting. 2. Slandering. So it is in the text, They will persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Matthew 5.11 Slandering is persecution of the tongue. The Apostle Paul was slandered in his doctrine. Some people had reported that he preached, Let us do evil, that good may come. Romans 3 8. Even Christ, who cast out demons, was accused of having a demon. John 8 48. The early Christians were falsely accused of killing their children and of incest. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. Psalm 35 11. Let us be careful that we do not become persecutors. Some people think there is no persecution except fire and sword, but there is also persecution of the tongue. Many of these persecutors, nowadays by a devilish chemistry, can turn gold into dung. They can turn the precious names of God's saints into reproach and disgrace. There have been many people punished for cutting metal off coins. 
of how much severer punishment will they be thought worthy? Hebrews 10:29, who cut the names of God's people to take away their full value. 3. Why must there be persecution? I will give two reasons. A. In regard to God, His decree, and His plan. God's decree, we are appointed thereunto. 1 Thessalonians 3 3. No matter who brings the suffering, God sends it. God told Shimei to curse David. 2 Samuel 16 10. Shimei's tongue was the arrow, but it was God who shot it. God's plan. God has a twofold plan in the persecutions of his children. Trials. Many shall be purified. Daniel 12:10. Persecution is the benchmark of sincerity. It distinguishes true saints from hypocrites. Unsound hearts pretend to be sound during times of prosperity, but in times of persecution they fall away. Matthew 13:20-21. Hypocrites cannot sail in stormy weather. They will follow Christ to the Mount of Olives, but not to Mount Calvary. Like green timber, they shrink in the scorching sun of persecution. If trouble arises, hypocrites prefer to make Damas their example rather than Moses. 2 Timothy 4.10. They would rather have thirty pieces of silver than Christ. God intends for persecutions in the world to reveal what is in the hearts of people. Suffering times are sifting times. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job 23.10. Job had a furnace kind of faith. A Christian of the right breed, one who is born of God, will hold fast his integrity. Job 2.3. No matter what else he loses. Christ's true disciples will follow him upon the water. Purity. God lets his children be in the furnace so that they may be partakers of his holiness. Hebrews 12:10. The cross is healing. It purges out pride, impatience, and love of the world. God washes his people in bloody waters to get out their spots and make them look white. Daniel 12:10. I am black but comely. Song of Solomon 1:5. The scorching zone of persecution made the spouse's skin dark, but her soul fair. See how differently afflictions work upon the wicked and godly. They make the one worse and the other better. If you take a cloth that is rotten and you scour and rub it, it shreds and tears. But if you scour a piece of metal, it looks brighter. When afflictions are upon the wicked, they complain against God and tear themselves in impatience, but when the godly are scoured by these, they look brighter. There will be persecutions in regard to the enemies of the church. These vultures prey upon God's turtles. The church has two sorts of enemies. Open enemies. The wicked hate the godly. There is enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Genesis 3.15. In nature, there is an animosity between the vine and the bay tree, and the elephant and the dragon. Vultures have an animosity against sweet smells. In the wicked, there is an animosity against the people of God. They hate the sweet perfumes of their graces. It's true that the saints have their weaknesses and faults, but the wicked do not hate them for these. Rather, the wicked hate them for their holiness, and from this hatred 
open violence arises. The thief hates the light, and therefore would blow it out. Secret Enemies These people pretend to be friends, but secretly raise persecutions against the godly. Such people are hypocrites and heretics. The Apostle Paul calls them false brethren. 2 Corinthians 11.26. The church complains that her own sons had troubled her. Song of Solomon 1.6. That is, those who had been raised in her arms and pretended to be religious and sympathetic were only false friends, and they troubled her. The church's enemies are those of her own house. Matthew 10.36. Those who are open pretenders but secret opposers of the faith are always the worst. A cyst seems to be a part of the body, but it is really an enemy to it. It disfigures and endangers it. They are the vilest and lowest of people who claim to follow Jesus Christ, yet fight against Him. 4. Why are the main persecutions raised against the ministers? Our Lord Christ turns Himself directly to the apostles, whom He was ready to commission and send abroad to preach. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. Matthew 5.11. So persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew 5.12. Take, my brethren, the prophets, for an example of suffering affliction. James 5.10. No sooner is any man a minister, but he is numbered with the martyrs. The ministers of Christ are his chosen vessels. As the best vessel of gold and silver passes through the fire, so God's chosen vessels pass often through the fire of persecution. All times are not like the silver age in which Constantine lived. He honored the ministry. He would not sit down in the Council of Nicaea until the bishops who were convened there came and asked him. He would say that if he saw any weakness in the clergy, his royal purple would cover it. Ministers must not always look for such gleams of the prince's favor. They must expect opposition. Peter, a famous preacher, knew how to cast the net on the right side of the ship, John 21, 6, and at one sermon he converted three thousand souls, Acts 2, 41. Yet neither the divinity of his doctrine nor the sanctity of his life could exempt him from persecution. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. John 21.18. This alludes to his suffering death for Christ. Eusebius said that Peter was bound with chains and then crucified at Jerusalem with his head downward. The Apostle Paul was a holy man who was fortified with courage and filled with zeal. Yet as soon as he entered into the ministry, chains and persecutions awaited him. Acts 9, 16, 20, 23. He was made up of sufferings. I am now ready to be offered. 2 Timothy 4, 6. He alluded to the drink offerings in which the wine or blood used in sacrifice was poured out, thereby intimating by what manner of death he would glorify God, not by being sacrificed in the fire, but by pouring out his blood, which happened when he was beheaded. So that it might not seem strange for God's ministers to be under the heat and rage of persecution, Stephen asked the question, 
Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Acts 7.52 Ignatius was torn with wild beasts. Cyprian and Polycarp were martyred. Eusebius said that Emperor Maximus ordered his officers to put no one to death except the governors and pastors of the church. The reasons why the storm of persecution has fallen primarily upon the ministers. 1. They have their corruptions as well as others, and lest they should be lifted up through the abundance of the revelations, God lets loose some messenger of Satan to trouble and persecute them. 2 Corinthians 12.7. God sees that they have need of the flail to thresh off their husks. The fire God puts them into is not to consume them, but to refine them. 2. The ministers are Christ's flag-bearers. They are the captains of the Lord's host. Therefore, they are the most shot at. I am set for the defense of the gospel. Philippians 1.17. The Greek word used here alludes to a soldier who is set in the heat of the battle and has all the bullets flying about his ears. The minister's work is to preach against people's sins that are as dear to them as their right eye, and they cannot endure this. Every person's sin is his king to which he yields love and subjection. As Pilate asked, Shall I crucify your king? John 19, 15. People will not endure to have their king's sin crucified. Since it is the work of the ministry to separate people from their lusts, to part these two old friends, it's no wonder that it meets with so much opposition. When Paul preached against Diana, all the city was in an uproar. Acts 19. We preach against people's Dianas, those sins that bring them pleasure and profit. This causes an uproar. And three, ministers face the enmity of Satan. The ministers of Christ come to destroy his kingdom. Therefore, the old serpent will spit all his venom at them. If we tread upon the devil's head, he will bite us by the heel. The devil sets up several forts and garrisons in people's hearts, such as pride, ignorance, and unbelief. The weapons of the ministry beat down these strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10.4 Therefore, Satan raises his militia and uses all the force and power of hell against the ministry. The kingdom of Satan is a kingdom of darkness. Acts 26.18, Revelation 16.10 And God's ministers are called the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 They come to enlighten those who sit in darkness. This enrages Satan. Therefore, he labors to eclipse the lights and to pull down the stars so that his kingdom of darkness may prevail. The devil is called a lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. The souls of people are the lion's prey. The minister's work is to take away this prey from this lion. Therefore, he will fiercely roar upon them and seek to destroy them. It shows us what a work the ministry is. Although it's full of dignity, yet it is full of danger. The persecution of the tongue is the gentlest persecution that can be expected. Martin Luther said that it is not possible to be a faithful preacher and not to meet with trials and oppositions. It shows the corruption of men's nature since the fall. They are their own enemies. They persecute those who come to do them the most good.
What is the work of the ministry except to save people's souls, to pull them as brands out of the fire? Zechariah 3, 2. Yet they are angry at this. We don't hate the physician who brings us medicine that makes us nauseated, because it is to make us well. Nor do we hate the surgeon who pierces the flesh, because it is in order to cure. Why then would we contend with the minister? Our work is to bring people to heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We desire peace between you and God. Yet it is the foolishness of a depraved nature to repay evil for good. Aristoxenus used to moisten his flowers with wine, honey, and perfumes, so that they would not only smell more fragrantly, but would also bloom more vigorously. We should do the same with our ministers. Give them wine and honey. Encourage them in their work, so that they may act more vigorously. Instead of this, though, we give them gall and vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, 21, Matthew 27, 34. We hate and persecute them. Most people deal with their ministers as Israel did with Moses. He prayed for them and worked miracles for them, yet they were continually quarreling with him, and were sometimes ready to take away his life. If the fury of the world is against the ministers, then you who fear God need to pray much for them. Pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-2 People should pray for their ministers that God would give them the wisdom of the serpent, Matthew 10, 16, so they would not betray themselves to danger by indiscretion, and the boldness of the lion, so they would not betray the truth by fear. 5. What is that persecution that makes a person blessed? I will first show what that suffering is that will not make us blessed. That suffering is not part of martyrdom when we force a cross upon ourselves. There is little comfort in such suffering. Augustine speaks of some people in his time who were called circumcellions, who, out of an impulse rather than zeal of martyrdom, would purposely place themselves into sufferings. These people were accessories to their own deaths, like King Saul, who fell upon his own sword. 1 Samuel 31, 4. We are bound by all lawful means to preserve our own lives. Jesus Christ did not suffer until he was called to it. Consider that to be a temptation that urges us to place ourselves into sufferings. When people through haste and impulsiveness bring themselves into trouble, it is a cross of their own making, and not one that God has placed upon them. It is not to be considered martyrdom when we suffer for our offenses. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer. 1 Peter 4.15. We indeed suffer justly. Luke 23.41. I am not of Cyprian's opinion that the thief on the cross suffered as a martyr. No, he suffered as an evildoer. Christ indeed took pity on him and saved him. He died as a saint, but not as a martyr. When people suffer by the hand of the judge for their uncleanness, blasphemies, etc., they do not suffer persecution, but execution. 
They don't die as martyrs, but as wrongdoers. They suffer evil for being evil. Suffering will not make people blessed when they suffer out of a corrupt desire to be admired as head of a party or to promote a denomination or church or other group. The apostle implies that a person may give his body to be burned, yet still go to hell. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. People who desire fame or notoriety may sacrifice their lives to purchase it. These are the devil's martyrs. I will now discuss what that suffering persecution is that will make us blessed and will result in us wearing the crown of martyrdom. When we suffer in a good cause, this is what the text says Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew 5 10. It is the cause that makes a martyr. When we suffer for the truth and embrace the struggle of the Christian religion, this is to suffer for righteousness' sake. For the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Acts 28 20. When we suffer with a good conscience, a person may have a good cause and a bad conscience. He may suffer for righteousness' sake, yet himself be unrighteous. The Apostle Paul had a just cause, as well as a pure conscience. I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Acts 23 1. Paul kept a good conscience to his dying day. Having a clear conscience has made the saints go as cheerfully to the stake as if they had been going to a crown. See to it that there is no weakness in your conscience. A ship that is to sail upon the waters must be preserved from leaking. When Christians are to sail on the waters of persecution, let them take heed that there is no leak of guilt in their conscience. He who suffers, even if it is in God's own cause, with a bad conscience, suffers two hells, a hell of persecution and a hell of damnation. When we have a good call, ye shall be brought before governors and kings. Matthew 10:18. There's no question that a person may so far consider his safety that if God by his providence opens a door, he may flee in times of persecution. Matthew 10:23 However, when he is brought before kings and the case is such that either he or the truth must suffer, this is a clear call to suffering, and this is judged as suffering for martyrdom. When we have good intentions in our suffering, namely that we may glorify God, set a seal to the truth, and show our love to Christ. Ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Matthew 10:18. The early Christians burned more in love than in fire. When we look at God in our sufferings and are willing to make his crown flourish, even though it is in our ashes, this is that type of suffering that carries away the garland of glory. And when we suffer as Christians, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. 1 Peter 4.16 To suffer as a Christian is to suffer with the kind of spirit that is proper for a Christian. To suffer as a Christian is when we suffer with patience. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. James 5.10 A Christian must not complain, but should say, 
Shall I not drink the cup of martyrdom that my Father has given me? John 18, 11. There should be such a spirit of meekness in a Christian's suffering that it should be hard to say which is greater, his persecution or his patience. When Job had lost everything, he kept the breastplate of innocence and the shield of patience. An impatient martyr is an impropriety. To suffer as a Christian is when we suffer with courage. Courage is a Christian's armor of proof. It strengthens and energizes him. The three children, or rather the three champions, were of brave, heroic spirits. They did not say to the king, We should not serve your gods, but we will not. Daniel 3.18. Neither Nebuchadnezzar's music nor his furnace could change their determination. Tertullian was called an adamant stone for his invincible courage. One of the church fathers said that holy courage makes us have such faces of brass that we are not ashamed of the cross. This is to suffer as Christians, when we are meek yet resolute. The more the fire is blown, the more it flames. It's the same with a brave-spirited Christian. The more opposition he meets with, the more zeal and courage flames forth. What a spirit of gallantry was in Luther, who wrote to Melanchthon, If it is not the cause of God we are embarked in, let us desert it. If it is His cause, and will support and vindicate us, why do we not remain firm and strong in it? To suffer as a Christian is to suffer with cheerfulness. Patience is bearing the cross. Cheerfulness is taking up the cross. Christ suffered for us cheerfully. His death was a free will offering. Luke 12:50. He thirsted to drink of that cup of blood. Such must our sufferings be for Christ. Cheerfulness perfumes martyrdom and makes it the sacrifice of a sweet-smelling savor to God. Moses suffered cheerfully. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11:24-25. Notice when he was come to years. It was no childish act. It was not in his youth, but when he was of years of discretion. He chose to suffer affliction. Suffering was not so much his task as his choice. The cross was not so much imposed as embraced. This is to suffer as a Christian. When we are volunteers, we take up the cross cheerfully and even joyfully. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 5.41. It is more emphatic in the original. They rejoiced that they were so far graced as to be disgraced for the name of Christ. Tertullian said of the early Christians that they took more comfort in their sufferings than in their deliverance. And indeed, a Christian may well be joyful in suffering because it is a great honor when God honors a person to be a witness to the truth. Christ's marks in Paul's body were prince of glory. Galatians 6 17. The saints have worn their sufferings as ornaments. Ignatius's chains were his jewels. Never have any princes been so honored for their victories as the martyrs for their sufferings. We suffer as a Christian when we suffer and pray. Pray for them which despitefully use you. 
Luke 6:28. There are two reasons why we should pray for our persecutors. One, because our prayers may be a means to convert them, and two, we should pray for our persecutors because they do us good, even if they do so against their will. Our prayers may be a means to convert them. Stephen prayed for his persecutors, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, Acts 7.60. This prayer was effective to some of their conversions. Augustine said that the church of God was indebted to Stephen's prayer for all the benefit that was gained by Paul's ministry. We should pray for our persecutors because they do us good, even if they do so against their will. They will increase our reward. Every reproach will add to our glory. Every injury will serve to make our crown heavier. As Gregory Nazianzen said in one of his orations, Every stone that was thrown at Stephen was a precious stone that enriched him and made him shine brighter in the kingdom of heaven. I have shown what that suffering is that makes us blessed and will result in us wearing the crown of martyrdom. This shows us what the nature of Christianity is, sanctity joined with suffering. A true saint carries Christ in his heart and the cross on his shoulders. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Christ and His cross are never separated. It's too much for a Christian to have two heavens, one here and one hereafter. Christ's kingdom on earth is the kingdom of the cross. What is the meaning of the shield of faith, the helmet of hope, and the breastplate of patience, except to imply that we must encounter sufferings? It is one of the titles given to the church, Afflicted, Isaiah 54, 11. Persecution is the legacy passed on by Christ to His people. In the world ye shall have tribulation, John 16, 33. Christ's spouse is a lily among thorns, Song of Solomon 2, 2. Christ's sheep must expect to lose their golden fleece. The flesh does not like to hear of this. Therefore, Christ calls persecution the cross, Matthew 16, 24. It is disagreeable to flesh and blood. We want to reign. Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1, 6. However, the apostle tells of suffering before reigning. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2, 12. How reluctant the corrupt flesh is to put its neck under Christ's yoke or to stretch itself upon the cross. However, Christianity gives no exemption from suffering. To have two heavens is more than Christ had. Was his head crowned with thorns, and do we think we will be crowned with roses? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. 1 Peter 4.12. If we are God's gold, it is not strange to be cast into the fire. There are some people who picture Erasmus half in heaven and half out. I think it represents a Christian in this life. In regard to his inward consolation, he is half in heaven. In regard to his outward persecution, he is half in hell. We see from this that persecutions are not signs of God's anger or fruits of the curse, for blessed are they which are persecuted. Matthew 5.10. 
If they are blessed who die in the Lord, Revelation 14.13, are they not blessed who die for the Lord? We are very inclined to judge those who are suffering to be hated and forsaken by God. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Matthew 27.40. The Jews made a question of it. They could hardly believe that Christ was the Son of God when he hung upon the cross. Would God let him be reproached and forsaken if he were the Son of God? When the barbarians saw the viper on Paul's hand, they thought he was a great sinner. No doubt this man is a murderer. Acts 28 4. In the same way, when we see the people of God afflicted and the viper of persecution fastens upon them, we are inclined to say, These people are greater sinners than others, and God does not love them. This is due to lack of wisdom. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Persecutions are pledges of God's love. They are badges of honor. Hebrews 12, 7. The sweetest comfort is found in the sharpest trial. God winnows his wheat only to make it purer. Persecution reproves those who want to be thought of as good Christians, but who will not suffer persecution for Christ's sake. Their care is not to take up the cross, but to avoid the cross. When tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Matthew 13, 21. Many people who profess to follow Jesus speak well of Christ, but will not suffer anything for him. These people may be compared to the crystal that looks like pearl until it comes to the hammering, then it breaks. Many people cry Hosanna to Christ when they see the palm branches and garments spread, but if the swords and clubs appear, then they sneak away. Bezal urged King Henry IV of France, then of Navarre, to involve himself in the Protestant religion, but he told him he would not launch out too far into the deep so that if a storm would arise, he could retreat back to the shore. It is to be feared that there are some people among us who, if persecution would come, would make Damas his example, rather than Moses, and would consider how to keep their body whole, rather than their conscience pure. Erasmus highly extolled Luther's doctrine, but when the emperor threatened all who would favor Luther's cause, Erasmus unworthily deserted it. Hypocrites would rather renounce their baptism than take up the cross. If we ever want to show ourselves as real Christians, we must throw ourselves upon the water with Peter to come to Christ. He who refuses to suffer, let him read over that sad verse, Whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 10, 33. Persecution reproves those who oppose and persecute the saints. How great is their sin! They resist the Holy Spirit. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Acts 7, 51-52 Persecutors insult Christ in heaven. They tread his jewels in the dust, touch the apple of his eye, and pierce his sides. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Acts 9, 4. When the foot was trodden upon, the head cried out. As the sin is great, so the punishment will be proportionate.
They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Revelation 16, 6. Will not Christ avenge those who die in this fight? What is the end of persecutors? Diocletian proclaimed that the Christian churches and temples would be demolished and the Bibles burned. He would not allow any man who was a Christian to hold an office. Some of the Christians were cast alive into boiling lead. Others had their hands and lips cut off, but their eyes were left so they could see the tragedy of their own miseries. What was the end of this man? He became insane and poisoned himself. Felix, captain to Emperor Charles V, was at supper at Augsburg, and he vowed that he would ride up to the spurs in the blood of the Lutherans. A flow of blood came up that night into his throat, and he choked to death. It's easy to see how God's hand has so visibly gone out against persecutors that they might read their sin in their punishment. Let this urge Christians to think ahead of time and evaluate sufferings. This early consideration can do us no harm, and it may do us much good. The forethoughts of suffering will make a Christian very serious. The heart tends to be light and shallow. The thoughts of suffering persecution would strengthen and deepen it. Why am I so light-hearted? Is this an attitude ready and appropriate for persecution? Christians grow serious when they consider their spiritual accounts. They consider what Christianity must cost them and may cost them. It must cost them the blood of their sins. It may cost them the blood of their lives. The forethoughts of persecution will be as spice to curb our delights so that we do not overindulge upon them. How soon may there be an alarm sounded? How soon may the clouds drop blood? The thoughts of this would take off the heart from the excessive love of the creature. At a great feast, our Saviour broke out into mention of his death. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Mark 14, 8. The forethoughts of a change would be an excellent remedy against overindulgence. The forethoughts of sufferings will make them lighter when they come. The suddenness of an evil adds to the sadness. This was bad news to the fool in the gospel, who considered this without his host. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Luke 12:20. This will be an aggravation of Babylon's miseries. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. Revelation 18:8. It is not that the Antichrist will be destroyed in a day, but in a day. That is, suddenly. The calamity will come unexpectedly. When he does not think of it. Contemplating the suffering ahead of time softens and shakes off the edge when it comes. Therefore, Christ, to lighten the cross, still forewarns his disciples of sufferings so that they will not arrive unexpectedly. John 16:33, Acts 1 7. Forethoughts of persecution will prompt us to get our armor ready. It's dangerous as well as careless to have to seek everything when the trial comes, as if a soldier would have to get his weapons when the enemy is in the field. Caesar, seeing a soldier sharpening his sword when he was on the way to battle, discharged him. He who considers persecution will be in a ready posture for it. 
He will have the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit ready, so that he will not be surprised unexpectedly. Let us prepare for persecution. A wise ship's captain will prepare for a storm while it is still calm. God knows how soon persecution may come. There seems to be a cloud of blood hanging over the nation. How will we prepare for sufferings? Do three things. One, be people well qualified for suffering. Two, avoid those things that will hinder suffering. And three, promote all helps to suffering. Strive to be people well qualified for suffering. Be righteous people. The person who would suffer for righteousness' sake must himself be righteous. By righteous, I mean evangelically righteous, or those with the following characteristics. A righteous person is one who breathes after sanctity. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Psalm 119, 5. Although sin clings to his heart, yet his heart does not cling to sin. Although sin has an alliance, it has no allowance. That which I do, I allow not. Romans 7, 15. A good person hates the sin to which Satan most tempts and his heart most leans. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 128. A righteous person is one who makes God's grace his center. The glory of God is of more value than the salvation of all people's souls. He who is divinely qualified is so zealously ambitious of God's glory that he does not care what he loses as long as God wins. He prefers the glory of God before honor, estate, and family. Kilias, that blessed martyr, said, If I had all the gold in the world to dispose of, I would give it all to live with my family, though in prison, yet Jesus Christ is dearer to me than all. A righteous person is one who highly values the jewel of a good conscience. A good conscience is a saint's festival, his music, and his paradise, and he would rather risk losing anything than violate his conscience. They say of the Irish that if they have a good scimitar, a type of curved sword, they would rather take a blow on their arm than to risk their scimitar getting hurt. I may compare this to a good conscience. A good man would rather sustain hurt in his body or estate than to have his conscience hurt. He would rather die than violate the purity of his conscience. Such a person as this is evangelically righteous, and if God calls him to it, he is ready to suffer. 2. Avoid those things that will hinder suffering. The love of the world. God allows us to use the world. 1 Timothy 6 7 8. But be careful not to love it. He who is in love with the world will be out of love with the cross. Damas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. 2 Timothy 4 10. Damas not only left Paul's company, but he left his doctrine. The love of the world chokes our zeal. A person wedded to the world will betray Christ, and a good cause for thirty pieces of silver. Let the world be as a loose garment that you may cast aside at pleasure. Before a person can die for Christ, he must be dead to the world. 
Paul was crucified to the world. Galatians 6.14 It will be an easy thing to die when we are already dead in our affections. Carnal fear. There is a twofold fear. One, there is a filial fear when a person fears to displease God. When he fears that he might not remain faithful, this is a good fear. Blessed is he who fears always. Proverbs 28.14 If Peter had feared his own heart better, and said, Lord Jesus, I am afraid that I will forsake you, Lord, strengthen me, then undoubtedly Christ would have kept him from falling. And two, there is a cowardly fear. This is when a person fears danger more than sin, when he is afraid to be good. This fear is an enemy to suffering. God proclaimed that those who were fearful should not go to war. Deuteronomy 20, 8. The fearful are unfit to fight in Christ's wars. A person possessed with fear does not consult what is best, but what is safest. If he may save his wealth, he will snare his conscience. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear made Peter deny Christ, made Abraham use deception, and made David pretend to be insane. Fear will put a person upon indirect courses, making them study conformity rather than conscience. Fear makes sin appear little and suffering great. The fearful person sees double. He looks upon the cross through his perspective, and he sees it twice as big as it is. Fear promotes corruption of spirit. It will push a person toward things most dishonorable and unworthy. A fearful person will vote against his conscience. Fear weakens. It's like cutting off Samson's locks. Judges 16:19. Fear melts away courage. It makes hearts melt. Joshua 2:9-11. When a person's strength is gone, he is very unfit to carry Christ's cross. Fear is the root of apostasy. Francis Spira's fear made him renounce and recant his religion. Fear hurts people more than the adversary. It's not so much an enemy outside the castle as a traitor who endangers it from within. It is not so much outward sufferings that disheartens a person, but traitorous fear within. A fearful person is proficient in no behavior as much as in retreating. Oh, be careful of this. Be afraid of this fear. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Luke 12.4. Persecutors can only kill the body, which must shortly die anyway. The fearful are set in the forefront of those who will go to hell. Revelation 21.8. Let us get the fear of God into our hearts. As one wedge drives out another, so the fear of God will drive out all other base fear. Take heed of a mild, shallow spirit. A shallow-spirited person will be turned any way with a word. He will be worked upon as wax. He is so tame that you may lead him wherever you want. By good words and fair speeches they deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16.18 A mild Christian is moldable to anything. He is like wool that will take any dye. He is a weak reed that will be blown any way. With the breath of men. One day you may persuade him to engage in a good cause, 
and the next day to abandon it. He's not made of oak, but of willow. He will bend every way. Beware of a shallow spirit. It's not cleverness, but foolishness to allow oneself to be taken advantage of. A good Christian is like Mount Zion that cannot be moved. Psalm 125, 1. He is like Fabricius, of whom it was said that a man might as well alter the course of the sun as to turn him aside from doing justice. A good Christian must be firm to his resolution. If he's not a fixed star, he will be a falling star. Take heed of listening to the voice of the flesh. The Apostle Paul conferred not with flesh and blood. Galatians 1.16. The flesh will give bad counsel. King Saul first consulted with the flesh, and then he consulted with the devil. He went to the witch of Endor, 1 Samuel 28. The flesh says that the cross of Christ is heavy. There is a nail in the yoke that will tear and bring blood. Be as a deaf adder, and close your ears to the attractions of the flesh. 3. Promote those things that will help in suffering. Prepare yourselves for suffering. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3 Jacob made the stone his pillow. Genesis 28.18 It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Lamentations 3.27 Bearing a lighter cross will prepare a person to bear a heavier cross. Learn to endure a reproach with patience and then you'll be more prepared to bear an iron chain. The Apostle Paul died daily. 1 Corinthians 15.31 He began with lesser sufferings, and so by degrees learned to be a martyr. In regard to sin, a wicked person learns to be an expert in sin by degrees. First he commits a lesser sin, then a greater. Then he makes a habit of sin. Then he grows bold in sin, and then he glories in sin. Philippians 3.19 This is also how it is with suffering. First the Christian takes up the splinters of the cross, such as reproach and prison, and then he carries the cross itself. How far are they from suffering who indulge the flesh, those who lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches? Amos 6.4 this is a very improper demeanor for suffering. That soldier is likely to make only poor work of it who is lying upon his bed when he should be training and preparing in the field. Jerome asked what he should say to those Christians who make it all their concern to perfume their clothes, curl their hair, and sparkle their diamonds. But if sufferings come, and the way to heaven has any water in it, they'll not be able to endure even setting their feet in it. Most people are too effeminate. They treat themselves too nicely and tenderly. Those silken Christians, as Tertullian called them, who pamper the flesh, are unfit for the school of the cross. The weak arm and bare shoulder is too soft and tender to carry Christ's cross. Accustom yourselves to hardship. Do not make your pillow too easy. Be well skilled in the knowledge of Christ. A man can never die for someone he does not know. 
For the which cause I also suffer these things, for I know whom I have believed. 2 Timothy 1.12. Blind men are always fearful. A blind Christian will be fearful of the cross. Enrich yourselves with knowledge. Know Christ in His virtues, duties, and privileges. See the preciousness in Christ. Unto you therefore which believe He is precious. 1 Peter 2.7. His name is precious. It is as ointment poured forth. His blood is precious. It is as balm poured forth. His love is precious. It is as wine poured forth. Jesus Christ is made up of everything, sweet and delightful. He Himself is all that is desirable. He is light to the eye, honey to the taste, and joy to the heart. If you only get the knowledge of Christ, you will give up everything for Him. You will embrace Him even though it is in the fire. An ignorant person can never be a martyr. He may set up an altar, Acts 17.23, but he will never die for an unknown God. Treasure every truth of God. Even the grains of gold are precious. The smallest ray of truth is glorious. Buy the truth and sell it not. Proverbs 23.23. Truth is the object of faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. The seed of regeneration. James 1.18. And the spring of joy. 1 Corinthians 13.6. Truth crowns us with salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4. If you ever expect to suffer for the truth, treasure it above all things. He who does not value truth above life will never lay down his life for the truth. The blessed martyrs sealed themselves to the truth with their blood. There are two things that God counts most precious to him, his glory and his truth. Bishop Jewell said, I will deny my bishopric, I will deny my name and reputation, but the truths of Christ I cannot deny. Keep a good conscience. If there is any sin allowed in the soul, it will cause the person to be unfit for suffering. A person who has a boil upon his shoulders cannot carry a heavy burden. Guilt of conscience is like a boil. He who has this can never carry the cross of Christ. If a ship is sound and well rigged, it will sail upon the water. But if it is full of holes and leaks, it will sink in the water. If the conscience is full of guilt, which is like a leak in the ship, it will not sail in the bloody waters of persecution. A house will not stand in a storm if its pillars are rotten. If a man's heart is rotten, he will never stand in a storm of tribulation. How can a guilty person suffer when, for all he knows, he is likely to go from the fire at the stake to the fires of hell? Let the conscience be pure, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 3 9. A good conscience will abide the fiery trial. This made the martyrs' flames beds of roses. Good conscience is a wall of brass. With the Leviathan, he laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Job 41.29. Even if someone is in prison, a good conscience is a bird that can sing in this cage. 
Augustine called it the paradise of a good conscience. End of part one.